Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host, Jim City Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. Technically speaking, I was not ready. <laughs> Feel ready now? No, I did not do my customary cough mic check that is completely unnecessary and that Jed doesn't even look to check to see if the levels are right. Wow. You sound like you're going through a lot. Yeah. I am. I'm dealing with a lot. Yeah. Well... We'll try to take it easy on you this episode. Thank you. Also joining us, Jed Berta, the director of Mission USA Productions. Jed's that audio engineer that's on the last day of his job before retirement. Yeah. Right? He's getting too old for this stuff. <laughs> Just trying to ride it out. Yeah, that's right. And then one thing happened. <laughs> He's got to produce this record before midnight, or they steal his boat. I forget what happened. Something like that. Something like that. Also joining us all the way from Christian to see one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. All I know is sometimes I can't even come on the show that guys just make it anyway. Wow. 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 A lot of a lot of old wounds <laughs> bubbling up at the beginning. It still video. hurts, Matt. It still hurts. You We're working what? on a technology I like to call Robo Lee, where we've taken we've yeah. we've done so many episodes of the podcast now that we can take individual words Lee has said over right. hundreds of episodes and we can just string them together. Sure. Right. We can just program an algorithm of what his basic thoughts sure. are. Exactly right. Exactly right. Virtual yeah. reality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I let's do that. I appreciate this question. I am I so really glad. agree with Jed. <laughs> Jed's wisdom was really smart. <laughs> That's it. That's yes. it. Yes. We've got ourselves a breakthrough. The wisdoming was good. <laughs> well, That's I'm smart. glad we're in an innovative mind, mindset because... I'm forced to declare an emergency. Ooh, what? Whoa. An emergency? An emergency. Scary. This is an emergency sent in to us by uh, one of our fine Uncle Glenn fans on Twitter. Ah. Uh, whose name I uh, am going to butcher here, the same as our Twitter handle. We're guessing on Galiza, G-I-E-Z-I-L-L-A. I, I'm voting for Jaliza. Okay. You're probably right. But either way, no matter how your name is pronounced, we appreciate your question very much. Um, and we will, uh, when this episode goes up, we will have either Glenn, that's at Glenn Fitzgerald, or the Bridge Twitter account, the Bridge CHI, will retweet this so people can uh, find the link we're referring to. But she uh, tweeted at Glenn Fitzgerald, Hi, Unka, I want to know your thoughts on this. And then there's a link ah. to a video. Yes. Which Glenn sent along to me, and I will do my best to shortly describe the video. You're going to have to watch it to break it in. It's essentially <laughs> a uh, three-minute Romantic, short romantic comedy where two adorable uh, Filipino youths go on a uh, magical day of date where everything goes wrong and they miss their, you know, it starts raining and they don't have an umbrella and they miss their fancy dinner reservation. So they have to eat street food. But at the end, the guy decides, you know, what, this is kind of a miss. I'm not going to, I'm going to put this ring back in my pocket and I'm not going to go for it. And he turns around and the girlfriend's on one knee with a little keychain. And then wow. the weird thing at the end happens, which is the phrase "manu life insurance." Yes, up right because it's an ad for insurance. Because sometimes everything goes wrong. Right, it, insurance. It's, it's, it's a three, but it's like a three. Yeah, it's like a three video. three minute full short film and fully produced yeah. out and in cinematic. Yeah. You know, and it's very well made. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing going I'm referring to is it's mostly in Tagalog. Right, There's a little right. bit of English kind of beginning. 
Um, so we wondered maybe we were missing some intricacies here. And we assumed, this may be wrong, but, um, and this is where the emergency comes, is have people started selling dating insurance? Ooh. And if so, is that a racket we can get in on? Yeah. Yeah, let's get in on that racket. Well, what would, what would dating insurance cover? So I, I assume it's what I guess, uh, in case of bad date, they step in and they help sure. set things that's right. right. That's right. But what conditions would qualify as a bad date? Well, first of all, if you, if you have a date, Right. Yes. And, and you're like all excited. Yes. That it's going to work out. Yes. And it doesn't work out. Well, you got to file a claim. Okay. Okay. That's good. Okay. That's you good. can use your smartphone app. Okay. And say, you know, this isn't, this isn't going well. Sure. Right. And like when you file an auto insurance claim on your app and they say, take pic, you know, take front side and back picture of the thing. We are going to need you to take a picture of said bad date. Okay. So that's right. going to be a little awkward, but you got to say, right. you know, Stand there and look stilted, like the conversation <laughs> right, was. Wow. Right. And you got to send it in. Yeah. Can, right. can I just take a short video? Can you say that same political stance again? Yeah. Right. Yes. And I think it'll be obvious to the claims adjuster what I'm dealing with. It'll right. be undeniable. Well, here's the question is, is if you want to spare the feelings of the person that you're on the date with, I mean, remember when you were kids, you, if you have like a sleepover at a friend's house or something... You could have like a like a secret code word when you call your parents and say, you know, like the pizza was great. And then your parents know like, oh, he wants to be picked up. He doesn't want to stay at the sleepover. Right. So the you know, the parents come and get you like, oh, sorry, we had an emergency at the house. We come and get you. So you don't have to stay there kind of deal. Is there a way that you could m- file a claim with your agent and not? you know, destroy the feelings of this person you're Because, look, they meant well. It wasn't their fault. It was just a bad... It just wasn't a great connection, but you don't want to destroy their feelings. But can you file a claim without making this person know about it? Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, I think essentially what happens... I mean, you think about the basics of insurance is in case the worst possible thing, you know, happens, you're you're covered, right? Right. So let's say you've been dating a guy a couple, three or four dates, then he just says something awful. You had your hopes up, right. and you realize, oh my gosh, he's one of those. Right. You, know? <laughs> you file the app, claim with the app, right? Yes. And it, and an adjuster comes out. You know, he observes the scenario. If he c- decides that the the claim is valid, he uses a tranquilizer dart and he right. takes that person nice. down. Right. Yes. Okay. Totally humane. Right. There's a van. Sure. Yes. You know, he takes him to the van. And the guy's never seen again. Right. And that, that's fine. But here's the important part. None of that would be worth paying your dating insurance, right? Right. Here's the important part. Here's the value add. They replace him right. with a comparable new wow. boyfriend. If your date is totaled. Yes. That's right. If your date has been totaled. Yes. They put a new guy in there. Okay. Okay. Is this a loner date? While while you're waiting on the next one to get fixed, well, I mean, it, de- it depends on whether they have a date available that they okay. where they can can you know immediately replace that date. But it, uh, you know, you may have a loaner date for that night. You know, as far they as make an goes. appraisal first of the old situation, right? And right. Then, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, that's a real breakthrough right there. Yeah, and I think we we got to get in on that ragged. Yeah, no, I think that's very good. Um, here, you're absolutely right that it's. The insurance game is competitive. Um, there's lots of providers, lots of offering. We're sure. getting in this racket early, but right, yeah. we're not first. So I think it is important to um, have a breadth of offerings mm-hmm. that really make the thing. So I think along with your dating insurance, maybe if you uh, go to a church 
whose whole hook is there's lots of young single people here. Yeah. And within a certain amount of time, you can pick six months, a year. Right. Um, you haven't gotten actually pastored or ministered to, and there's been no dating. Mm. I think you should be able to file a claim for all the money you gave to that church. Sure. Wanted wow. that guarantee. Because yeah. the implicit agreement yeah. was if you show up and put money in the plate, you know, yeah. ring by spring here. Let's, yeah, let's absolutely. That's right. I think this absolutely works for uh, your Christian colleges. Yep. Yes. You're, if, you're a, if you're at a Christian college and there's nothing happening by the time you're a junior, I mean, you got to get at least maybe your student activities money back. Right. Sure, absolutely. Well, I know what people are going to be saying. They're listening to this. And they're going to be saying, that sounds weird and crazy and unfair. That's normally what the people who listen to this say. But here's, here's what's going on. That this is we're providing something called incentive. Yes, <laughs> yeah. that's what drives the market. You have exactly right. You have to incentivize people to succeed; otherwise, yeah. they're not going to succeed. Absolutely, absolutely right, Lee. Well, one of the things you could do here is, you know, a, a, a young single person joins a church, sets up the the dating insurance policy. And there could be some kind of bells and whistles. Some people want just the basic insurance policy, but some people want to, you know, kick that thing on up a notch. And and one of the add-ons I think that we could provide is, or we could at least be a consulting firm to provide, is um, kind of a outreach ministry um, that you could be a part of that's going to up your chances of finding the right date for you. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're on an outreach ministry team. We're going to say... That that guaranteed nine months, we're going to go ahead and reduce that down to three and a half. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I right. like it. That's good. That's good. I mean, well, you pay a higher premium, yeah. we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna match you up with that, that right person. Sure, that's yeah. platinum dating insurance. See, I, I like the direction that Lee's going in here, because it, the, the, the point of, of this ad, and, and again, uh, you know, there's, there's certainly, uh, as Americans, we're struggling to understand the cultural uh, norms here, right? You know, or that goes, uh, but the part of the point of the video is the is the young lady, right, is asking the young man to get married, right? Yeah, it's like whoa, that's like it. it's like topsy turvy, like you know, down is up, up is down, up is down, is. White, black, it, yeah. Okay, it's dogs and cats uh, having sex with one another, and this is like—is <laughs> that the line? I think that's the line. I think the, the line's movie. living together. Okay, in well, a very non-sexual I think, way. I think we all know what's going on there, and it's time to talk about it. But here's what I'm saying: is not that, only have you misquoted since, Ghostbusters, which is a sin in and of itself. Look, that was the longest. You come on my podcast and intentionally misquote Ghostbusters to me. Pet adultery is real. (laughs) Let's get into it. Okay, it's happening. We need to talk about it. Pets are are unmarried and living in sin. Somebody's what? legalistic mother somewhere. <laughs> What's going to result? Why did you buy this tiny wedding dress? The dog and cat have been living in sin. (laughs) What's going to What's going to result from this unholy union of cat and dog? We don't know. We don't have the technology to understand these things. But here's what I'm saying is, all of this just got started when a young gal made a romantic gesture towards a dude. Right. Like, can we live in in, in this world, and will it not cause everything to collapse in on itself? I think right. you might be reading a little much into that adorable candy keychain. Implode. Well, here here's the thing. Uh, because I don't know if you guys have experienced this, and I don't, I, I don't know exactly what goes <clears> down <throat> in the Philippines, but 
when I go to the shoe store, the other day I was in the shoe store, right? Okay. It's one of them real big ones. Mm. A lot of shoes in the store. I went in the store and I'm looking around and the gal says, can I help you? Yes. Now, here's the thing. No man has ever gone into a shoe store and said, I want women's shoes. So you know what I want here. Right. That's not, you know what I mean? Don't be coy about this. Yeah. And I said to the woman, I'm looking for the dark and poorly lit back corner of this store where you keep an incredibly small amount of men's shoes. Yes. Because this, this poor lady right. did not know she had stumbled on into being part of a decade-long Glen bit. That's right. <laughs> and now you're in it. Now she's up in it. And she says, what? And I said, you know. You have the men's shoes <laughs> stuck in the back corner of this store, and they are a minute percentage of the floor space of this store. Am I wrong? And she said, long pause. No, you're right. They're in, <laughs> and it is poorly lit. And yes, that's there where are they're bats lit. flying overhead. <laughs> yes, yeah. cobwebs. <laughs> and, and by the way, there's you can ha- you can purchase a brown shoe or a black shoe. Here's a flashlight to help you see the difference in the poor lighting. That's right. Okay. This now what what's happening there? Women are taking That's what I'm wondering. Women are taking over. That's what's happening. Mm. Okay. Now I want I for one welcome our new uh, female overlords. Okay. Okay. That's how I'm handling this. But it's inevitable that women will take over the whole uh marriage, you know what I mean? Uh Uh-huh. The marriage industrial complex. Because you say, okay. It starts with the gals asking guys out, and then maybe that's, you know, they ask them to marry them with a panda keychain, right. as that as it happens in the video. Well, what's next is exactly what Lee's talking about. You pay a service, we make that dude marry you. You just pick him, and right. that's it. It's right. Because he's like, well, I, I need to get finish my degree, and then I need to get my job, and then I need to get a promotion. He, he's going to be playing at that forever. <laughs> right. Then a Why band pulls up Richard next to him. Why is Richard Pryor impersonating a white guy? <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a, a van pulls up, exactly as Jed says. There's a dart in his neck. Yeah. And the next thing you know, he wakes up, he's married. Yeah. Right? That's what's happening. He's wedded. Well, before this devolves into these people drafting me into this, which is certainly where it's going, I'm going to declare emergency off. That's a safe, smart move. Whoa. Yep. Preempted it this time. Is that the proper Robert's Rules of Podcasting? Absolutely. I don't know know if we I think we left all that behind at pet adultery. (laughs) I should should say that, that one of the problems with this film being a romantic comedy, before we move on, is that it doesn't follow Glenn's rules of romantic comedies, which is- Always and forever, there are two men who are in love with the same woman. That's right. If that rule is broken, it's three men. That's right. It also doesn't vi- that also in and of itself violates another say that statute, which is if you are a thing that violates the thing we normally gripe about, we'll gripe about it anyway. That's right. If Glenn went into a shoe store that was ninety percent men's shoes to ten percent women's shoes, it's all the selection you want lit to, lit right. wonderfully. There would still be the rant about, well, most of them aren't this way. That's right. That's right. Because you got to get the gripes out. Here's the problem. She just doesn't know which one to pick. It's tough. That's the whole movie. How do I know which one to pick? Yeah. These two hot guys are just dying to get with me. I've shown them no interest. Yes. And I just don't know who to pick. It's <laughs> it's like, this is like life, y'all. It's tough. That's how life is. Yeah. It's not so, realistic. Like the Fast and the Furious. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, and Indiana Matt. Jones. You're ruining and this. Guys Matt. like that are realistic. Die hard. 
Shut up. It's the way that one kind of pudgy white dude with no shoes on took out all them terrorists. That's how it happens. That's how it goes down. That's right, man. I'm going to make one more attempt to declare emergency off. Oh, okay. We'll see how. See if it takes. This one goes. Um, another thing where women are uh, taking over and winning, um, I, I feel comfortable saying that uh, the Bridgebox subscriber base is Ooh. majority female. Yes. Ah. And uh, being that we know that women are just a little more on the ball than the rest of us, um, I think that's a, a poor tent that this is a good train to get on. Uh-huh. Yep. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox gets sermons, songs, Bible studies, and much more based on a topic we are hurtling ever closer to the month of September in which our topic is, Jed? How do I start? Where do I start when I'm starting over? Fantastic topic. You'll get sermons from Glenn and myself. You'll get... Uh, songs from Glenn and Jed from our friends, Pete from the ever reclusive mysterious pool house guru. Mm-hmm. Maybe some surprises in there. MissionUSA.com slash bridge box. Help support what we're doing for only $8 a month. Okay. We're going to jump to our first question here. This comes in anonymously and it says follow up on the born again, virginity question. You may recall this was three or four episodes ago at this point, we had someone write in and uh, they'd heard that someone can become a born again virgin. Mm. Uh-huh. We, um, we disabused them of that knowledge, yeah. but we did it with, uh, I don't recall, but I'd like to think gentility and sure. politeness. Probably. So this person asked a follow-up question, which is fantastic. We always encourage that. They say, if virginity is just a societal construct, that's something we, we mentioned on that. I think it was actually, I was the one who said that. That idea of um, virginity is not a, you know, 100%. There's a one on this side and then on the other side. So to then part of the, the point I was making there was to kind of, use virginity as this moral standing and this uh, rarefied air is kind of silly when it's something that exists on a continuum. You'd have to get in some really weird and uncomfortable defining to, for that to have a spiritual aspect. Why would anyone want to be a virgin? If thinking about a sin, wanting that sin or, and doing the sin is the exact same thing. And it's still a sin. Why burn in lust while waiting for marriage? Some people don't want to marry virgins or sexually experienced partners, while some people don't want to marry virgins or waste their time with them either. If we're all in sin because we lust, why is anyone still dating? Sorry, waiting. why is anyone still waiting? Don't even. I know you're going to say it. No, I, I just, uh, yeah. That's, I'm fine. If we're all in sin because we lust, why is anyone still waiting? And Glenn, did you start us off on this one? I think for me, uh, if, if the question that you're asking, if the root of the question is, why are we putting off marriage uh, endlessly as if that's going to be the best and most responsible way to do that, I have to have all my ducks in a row first, then I agree with you. I, 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 don't, I don't think there is a, a great argument for doing that uh, to the extent and to, to the frequency that's done these days. It's, it's absolutely the right thing for certain people. But if you're super, super nervous and scared about asking somebody out on a date and you haven't done hardly any of that in your life, we don't need to be talking about virginity. We don't need to be talking about uh, you know, dating ethos or, or what God thinks of your dating life or any of that. You need to just ask somebody out. You need yeah. to go ahead and start that part of your life off. If you've put that off too long, it's okay. Today's a good day to start turning that around. If you know somebody in your social circle that you'd like to ask out, ask them out. If you don't, uh, find a, a dating service that's right for you. 
uh, start meeting people. Uh, maybe you're not dating them yet. You know, maybe you're just meeting them. I think that's great, and that's fine. Take your time with it. But if that's the root of your question here, uh, of putting off uh, marriage endlessly and burning in lust and all that is a bad idea, uh, yeah, I, I see your point. Yeah, sure. It's it'd be better to get married when you're a little younger and 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 go ahead and and make that happen. I I don't see any reason why why not. But there is a huge uh, 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 logical fallacy oh. in the middle of this. Uh, nice. Uh, and a fallacy is something that's not true. Yeah. Mm. There's a huge logical fallacy uh, in the middle of uh, your question here, which is this idea that good sex is a product of experience, that people mm. with a lot of sexual experience are desirable uh, because they... Specifically experience with other people. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Like the martial artist who wanders many lands, learning <laughs> styles from different masters. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's not how good sex works at all. That's... And also, anyone who's had a certain amount of it knows that's not how it works. But basically, it's it's just in and then out and then back in and again. So, <clears throat> there's uh, so my point is it it annoys Glenn so much when we know sell his jokes. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Here's the thing: uh, a, a, good, a good and healthy uh, sex life and being a good sexual partner is about a willingness to learn. A, w- a willingness to listen to your partner talk about you know what what is pleasurable to them, and uh, doing all of that within the context of a, an intimate marriage where you're where you're committed to one another and it's meaningful right. and this is how you're serving one another. That's what makes sex good. That's if if that's your question of how can I be the most desirable marriage partner that someone would want to get married to, and would would have good sexual experiences with that's how you do it you'd be a good listener and you'd be uh, sensitive to the other person and, and, and willingness to learn you know maybe that's uh reading a book about it maybe that's talking to a, a therapist about stuff uh, working on your issues that's what's going to make you good at those things so i think it's important uh, as we move forward to look at the to sort of strip away some of these myths uh, before we get into the theology of yeah. it I don't even think he meant to do strips away, but just happened. It was just there were so many double entendres in the in so, the chamber; they just kept happening. So it's a fallacy. Yeah, no doubt. And Leo, that's actually I think that's a fantastic place to pick that up. I think um, Glenn made a fantastic point there. And let's move into this. What is the why wait? Let's actually look at that idea. Glenn is absolutely right. There's certainly such a thing as waiting too long. But even if you get married relatively young, which you did, you got married in your, in your early twenties. There's still some waiting involved, and you're actually supposed to do that. And without getting into weird purity and guilt stuff, which leads to the exact problems Glenn's talking about, what's what's the case for actually doing that? This is the thing is that, I mean, nobody follows Jesus perfectly, but I think that there's a there, there's a, a mistaken idea with a lot of Christian stuff in why we follow Jesus, why we submit to the stuff that Jesus says. I think that I, I know. I, for one, grew up in the kind of church environment where the reason that you obey, submit, or follow Jesus in the things that are in the Bible is that that's what leads to holiness. The, the whole point of obeying Jesus is holiness. You just want to get real holy. Mm. Um, 
And that's 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 what we're all aiming at here. And the thing is, we don't I mean, we don't have to spend a lot of time talking about the fact that the Bible says you are that that sex is for uh married couples. We all we all know that's what the Bible's saying. This is what this is what Jesus wants for us. But you know, the 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 mistake the mistaken thought in there, and, and it's the environment I grew up in. If you grew up in church, you probably grew up in the same kind of environment, is just this idea that uh, obeying is all about being holy, being holier than other people and and just that's the whole point of of submitting to Jesus. But what if that's not the what if that's not the real thing? What if the reason that we should submit our lives, our 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 questions, our desires and stuff like that to the the ideas and the the wisdom and the words of Jesus is not about holiness but about but about health and happiness. What if Jesus knows what he's talking about? Mm-hmm. What if Jesus is smarter than us? What if Jesus made us? And so he knows what's up. As exactly as Glenn's saying, what what most people assume when they're growing up is, and I know it's what I thought, it's what all my friends thought too, is that in order for good sex to happen, you have to have young hot people. Right. That's what equals good sex. <laughs> and then what you do is you take young hot people, and then they have sexual experiences, and the more they have, <laughs> and the more awesome they become at sex. That's what that's what pornography taught us. That's what movies taught right. us. That's what TV shows taught us, and all of those things. TV shows everything they they teach you all kinds of stuff that have nothing to do with sex. Yep. And then when you actually get married and you start figuring out what what an actual sex life takes, requires, what 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 it what, you know, what you have to do to to get good at this, you realize nothing I've ever seen or heard has anything to do with what it actually takes to have a good sex life. As Glenn's saying, this takes this takes a, a, a couple that have committed their lives together, who ha, are learning what intimacy means, who are who are building a, a relationship of trust, friendship, all this kind of stuff, and learning how to move toward each other, learning how to serve each other in their sexual life. It's it's not about young hot people and their sexual experiences, and it's it's not that. I mean, what what you find out is when you when you have a marriage where you're working on and building and growing in a good sex life. The the longer you're married, the better you get at it. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, I'm already way older than I thought good sex was possible for people. My, you know, I th- I thought you were essentially dead when, when when I was a kid. I thought I would be essentially dead when I was my age now because that's what we thought about old people. Sure. But it's like all this kind of stuff. It's getting better and better and better. The longer that the longer that you have a, a couple that's committed to each other and serving each other in their life and learning about each other. And the whole thing about this is, is that if I submit myself to what Jesus is asking me to do, then it's not about getting holier. It's about having an actual healthy and a happy and a fulfilling sex life because he invented the whole thing and he knows what's up. Amen. And so if I, and, and what I find is the more of my, the more areas of my life where I submit my my own ideas and my own wisdom and my own desires, and I got to be honest about those. Take those in honesty to Jesus. But as I grow in learning what it means to submit those to Him, what I'm finding is that dude actually knows what he's talking about. And when he makes up rules, it's not just because he likes to kill joy, and it's not because he's against pleasure or anything like that. It's actually the complete opposite. He is for our health. He is for our well-being. He is for our happiness. He is for pleasure. He invented all of that. He actually, Jesus, by saying, I want you to wait on, on, on your sex life until, until it's go time, until, 
until you're at the right time for this. That's actually Jesus's way of saying, because I want you to have the best possible and most satisfying possible sex life that you can. Yeah, that's a very important point and really well put. And Jed, let's look at one last aspect of this question before we leave it, which is not so much the sex part, which these Mm. guys did a great job covering, but this idea of if wanting to do a sin and doing the sin are spiritually the same, which Jesus says, he specifically says that about sex, but he says it about anger and says Mm -hmm. about other things that um, essentially what he's saying is to have done it in your mind has the same spiritual consequences to have done it. Why not just do it? Right. That's a great question. So it turns out, and actually Christians can often miss this, that um, the spiritual consequences of a sin and the earthly consequences of a sin are often quite different. Mm. Um, mm. The, the spiritual consequence of sin, if we leave Jesus out of the equation, is separation from God. Uh-huh. Uh, that's that's uh, you, you die and you have, you're separate from God. That's the spiritual consequence of sin apart from Jesus. The earthly consequences of sin vary wildly. Mm. Uh, Jesus said um, that uh, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother um, is in danger of hellfire. Okay, here's the thing is um, uh, you can, if you if you murder someone, they will arrest you and put you in jail. Yeah. That's that's the earthly this consequence. If you are mad at someone, there is no earthly consequence uh, no. At, at all. Um, if you think lustful thoughts, uh, there is no earthly consequence. If you have a wide variety of very inadvisable sexual relationships, you have things like chlamydia and unplanned babies and super messy breakups. These are all earthly consequences of really bad sexual decisions. Um, right. And again, Christians kind of can sometimes lose sight of that, that uh, uh, one of these things is not like the other. The point Jesus is making in the Sermon on the Mount and the comments that follow it is that in the eyes of God, none of us are righteous. We all sin and fall short. Therefore, we all need a savior. He wasn't disputing the fact that the earthly consequences are very different. Yeah. That's, that's still there. But I think it's really worth looking at his point that none of us are righteous in the eyes of God because, you know, we need to be clear because this stuff has been so uh, wrongly expressed in Christian culture. We, we just need to take a second and, and, and remind our listeners, no one is pure. No one anywhere. That is not a thing. Some might uh, say not even one. Not even one. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. I've underlined it several times and circled it with a red pen. Um, if you are a virgin, you are no more pure than anybody else. Um, I happened, I've said this on the show before, I happened to be a virgin when I got married. I am a great big sinner. Was then, am now. That's what we've got. If you have had sex with 10,000 people, you are no less pure than anybody else. You're very busy. You're very no busy. <laughs> we had a guy in Cook County Jail. It's a young guy. It's like 19. We're having a small group. He says, I've had sex with a million people. And some of us start snickering. That's not a joke. Yeah, one of the older guys in the small group, as if someone had just made a joke. It's not funny. It's not a joke. It's just one of those. It's Jed Pitt of the time. Dude, we can do math. Yeah. This is the thing. Uh, if you're a virgin, you're no more pure. If you if you like our friend in Cook County Jail, have had sex with a million people, you are you are no less pure. The point that we're all making is that a variety of sexual partners does not lead to better quality sex in your married life. And just as a very quick aside, it's worth giving you one more reason why that is. I've worked making media for a very very long time, 
And the thing that it's important to understand about media is we sell lies. That's what all media is. We are giving you impressions that aren't real. The easiest way to think about this is food photography. You've seen an ad. We were talking last episode about McDonald's. And you've seen the perfect looking hamburger. And it's so juicy. And the mayo is right there. And everything's crisp and delicious. You don't want to eat that hamburger that you're seeing that picture of. Here's the reason for it. That mayonnaise is Elmer's glue. Yeah. That's that's what you're seeing in that picture. In fact, basically nothing in that picture is edible. We're just trying to make it look like something. That's the deal. People that sell sex, whether they're you know just making mainstream movies or pornography or whatnot, they're selling something that looks hot. That's the whole point. Right. They are selling you hotness. That doesn't have anything to do with, in the case of the burger, food you would actually want to eat. In the case of sex, sex you would actually want to have. They're just selling a product that doesn't bear any resemblance to the real thing. That's absolutely right. It's important to combine that with what these guys are saying because um, this really does kind of come. This the answer. To this comes from both sides. And that one, um, and the I don't know if you know you're quoting a verse, but you certainly do. Of why burn instead of uh, while waiting for marriage. Paul talks about that. He says, you know, it's better to just get married than burn with lust. Right. That's to the point that Glenn is making. Of you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna be involved in this, go ahead and do it the right way. Um, but there is a, exactly as Jed is pointing out, I mean, part of the reason that, uh, the Bible and God doesn't want you to have sex outside of, uh, marriage is, uh, you shouldn't be having babies outside yeah. of a, you know, stable environment. There are other consequences to that that are both physical and emotional. And then there's the other end of that, which Lee gave us, which is, there's a good thing we want here that all, as we, we said right. on the show, almost all sin is cheating yourself out of what God actually uh, wants you to That's have. Right. Yeah. So in the, in if we pull it out of the sex case to the anger case, God wants you to live a life that is not crippled by anger and bitterness towards everything. Um, you kind of have to believe in that and give that up and understand that as just pointing out, if you go around punching people, you're going to get punched back. Yes. That's the consequences. But even if you just go around harboring anger and bitterness, uh, like Jesus talks about in Matthew five, um, that's going to have an adverse effect on your life. Not necessarily then that it'll be uh, wildly dramatic, bad consequences, but in that you're just not going to have the uh, life of joy and peace that God wants for you. And sex is very much the same thing. It's um, it, the w- thing we do want to continue to push back against as we did in the first question that, that God says follow up question, which again, we love getting the follow up questions. Keep sending them in if you have them is to say that God wants you to not have sex until you're married. That can be true. And the point that Jed makes is equally true and very important to point out is equally true of there's, as Glenn is saying, there's no such thing as sexual purity, not on this planet, but God wants you to do things in a specific way, but that's not about status. That's not about purity. That's not about you get to wear the little ring that other people don't get to wear. That's about God wanting something specific for your life. And if you, if we can look at those kinds of motivations and not getting the, the pride, which the Bible also says is very bad. Mm. Actually says that way more than it talks about sex being bad. Pride's real, real bad. Um, then we'll, we will, I think, have the right lens to view this kind of stuff through. All right, we move on to our next question here. This came into our email address, and it says, I am a youth group, middle school, and high school leader at my church. Recently, two of the kids went through a breakup. The guy's family is very well connected in the church, while the girl is very much not. The kids have been excluding and bullying the girl. I really want to help her and help the other kids see that bullying is not Christian, but I don't know where to start. Advice, please. And uh, Lee, you help run both uh, middle school and high school groups. You've been doing so for a long time. Why don't you start us off? All right. Well, um, yeah, I've seen stuff like this ad nauseum. 
I'll tell you what, there's there's a whole lot of different things that you could do, but I'll, I'll tell you what would probably be the most effective thing. It's where I would start is that the solution to this starts with you, and it starts with the way that you treat this girl. Um, one thing that's true that I have learned um, over and over and over again is a lot of times when you're doing ministry, it's easy to feel like the, the work that I'm, that I'm doing is not effective. Um, you know, people don't always come that consistently. When they come, they don't seem that engaged sometimes, or, or you know, you, do, you may not get a lot of feedback a lot of times and stuff like that. But one thing that's true is I always find out, whether it's, you know, that day or later or, you know, a week later or years later, that people are watching you a whole lot more than you think. Um, if you are the person that leads out and in including everybody, lifting this girl up, encouraging her, and uh, sitting with her, hanging out with her, uh, joking around with her, being the person that includes her and accepts her, treating her the way that that Jesus would treat her, folks' eyes are on you. If you see... Uh, so I would say that's the first thing is it starts with you. It starts with you setting the tone for that room and the way we're going to treat people when they're in that room, when they come into this environment. You set that tone and people's eyes are on you and some of that behavior is going to go outward. Um, the next thing I would say is if you actually see just like some straight up misbehavior from somebody, let's pull that person aside. Let's have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And you, what you want to do is you don't want to just fire and brimstone people, but in those kinds of conversations, you want to kind of do the Jedi mind trick of, of calling them to a higher version of themselves. It's kind of like you're giving them the benefit of the doubt, even though they're acting like a douche. And you're kind of saying, it, it, it's your way of saying, you know what? I know that, I know that you're better than this. I, I know, that, I know that, that this isn't the way that you want to be. I know that you're trying to show out for some friends and stuff like that, but... But I, I know you've got a better side to you, so I want to call you out to that. Um, aside from that, I think this starts with you. I think it starts with the way that you include people in the room, the way that you set the tone for the room. Um, there's a temptation to have a big speech and to make it real clear and stuff like that. That's usually embarrassing for the person that that is getting called out and stuff like that. And so, you know, I, I would cuff the individual people off to the side to have those conversations but I would, rather than, rather than making this a big specific thing, and of course, you can teach people from the scriptures how Jesus, teach, how G Jesus treated people and how we want to treat people in a general sense. But I think this really, really does start with the way that you include, the way that you accept, the way that you love everybody that walks through that door. That is the perfect place to start this discussion off. And Jed, I'd love you to, to pick us up there. Um, exactly what Lee is saying, this really does, I think, come down in a big way to how you treat yeah, uh, this particular individual because um, there it's a worthy goal. It's a good goal to change the culture of a youth group of a church. Yeah, if this is the kind of thing which I get a little more backstory in this, where there's some uh, economic classes involved, there's sure. some other lots of other stuff involved that gets involved in church politics. It's a worthy goal to try to push back on that stuff. You have that stuff takes uh, two things that you may or may not have. The first one is definitely time. Yeah, and the second one is a certain amount of rank. Yeah, um, if you uh, you, we had we don't have the first one yet, right. um, and we may not have the second. So let's let's start that conversation specifically. This is, there's a bully girl in the youth group. What do I as the leader do? Right, right. Well, I definitely want to back up everything that Lee said, and it's also worth noting, man. We are on this podcast super blessed to have Lee. He has a ton of experience and ton of yep. know how uh, yep. in youth ministry, and we're we're just blessed to have him. Um, uh, 
An additional thing to everything that Lee said, and this is something that you can do actually whether you're the leader or not, particularly worth looking at, is that you can take this young lady out for ice cream, you can ask her how she's doing, and you can give her a safe place to just talk. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. one of the unfortunate realities is that children love drama. Um, I mean, teenage kids, they, they, they love cruelty and they love drama. Um, and a breakup like this is just good fodder for both. Even in a really well-run yeah. youth group where the kids are, are well lined out, there's, you're going to have a certain amount of that because uh, people, you know. The pack mentality overtakes. Exactly right. There, people yes. are passing a conch shell. It's a whole thing. Um, but the thing that you can definitely do is you can, you can take this young lady out and just give her some solo time and some solo attention. You know, buy her some ice cream and give her a place to talk. You know, I mean – a lot of people, they, they process things best when they're able to talk out loud about them. Um, mm. And, you know, it's, it's funny how few people have that in their lives, how few people have a safe place and an available place to just, to just talk and, and get things off their chest and say how they're feeling, whether they're right or wrong, just, just get it all out. And that's a gift that you can give her, uh, as Matt put it, whether you've got rank or not, whether you're you know, a big leader in the church or not, you can take her out for some ice cream. And the other thing that you can, you should do, and it's, it's important for all people, but man, it's so important for young people, is that you know when she's done, take the time to tell her about the amazing things that you see in her. Um, you yeah. know, the, the, the potential that you see in her, the heart that you see in her, the, the good stuff the Lord's built into her. Um, so few people take the time to do that for others, to, to, to speak the, what they see, you know, uh, that is good and right and praiseworthy about other people. You know, it's, it's funny. It's funny how often around church stuff, people will think those things without ever taking the time to express them. Yep. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, as as much as people in their thirties uh, and forties and fifties need that, kids that are teenagers or in their twenties, man, they need that ten times as much. Um, you know, and they particularly need it because they are facing so much explicit cruelty and meanness in their lives. I mean, it's just it's it's overwhelming. And one of the most powerful things you can do is is to provide uh, fodder, is to provide ammunition for what is not that. You know, you have, you have people saying all these things about you that are bad, and a lot of those things may have a very tiny grain of truth to them, which is why they hurt so bad, because they stick. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you things about you that are true and that are good. Um, that's If you can take the time to give her a safe place to talk and to, to speak good stuff into her life, uh, not only will you help with this situation, you're planting a seed that's going to yield fruit for years to come. Absolutely right, and Glenn. Uh, let's look also at what one can do in a group context. Jed's absolutely yeah. right. The number one a thing you can do for sure is be with this person outside of church. Yeah. And that's true. Anytime anyone's having a, a problem with a group dynamic, if you mm. want to show up and give them support, it's best to do that outside of the groups. It's the easy way to do it. Um, but let's say we're at the Bible study or at the whatever. And if I'm not the individual in charge of it, I don't totally could say how this goes down, but there's, you know, a leadership team or mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. it is. What are the things we can start doing now that aren't uh, necessarily have the big confrontation and tell the leadership team this, this is, untenable, which we, we definitely want to pray whether or not that's the option, because right, right. that's what uh, that's what the four of us would do, but uh, at least three of us don't get invited to many Bible studies anymore, right, right, for right. that reason. But what are the kind of, uh, kind of small steps we can start taking towards managing that group dynamic? Well, yeah, I think it's important to look at church culture and how that plays a role in all the stuff we're talking about here, because... To a certain extent, uh, there's a there's a sense that I've seen in the church certainly for a long time 
where if I sense that I'm on a righteous cause, then I can do anything, including being vicious and mean and cruel and uh, downright evil, but that's good because I'm fighting for something that is right. It's a war, y'all. That's right. A war. Uh, no. We can, we can talk about where, uh, where all those things come from, but that's, that's, that's in church culture. Uh, and young people see adults approach things in that way. They, they see adults give themselves permission to say the cruelest thing on social media about political people they disagree with, and they feel like, well, yeah, but this is in a, a righteous cause. I'm standing up for what's right, so it's okay to say something cruel. Mm-hmm. And then you turn around and have a, a kid in a youth group, and one breaks up with the other, and I feel like, well, she broke up with him for evil reasons. So I got opinions. I have an opinion about that. So if I stake, take a stand against evil by saying something really mean... Somebody's got to stand up with this 13-year-old Jezebel. That's right. Um <laughs> This uh, this is uh, th- this is where the you know sort of a, a root of some of this kind of thinking takes takes place. Adults, of course, uh, adult leaders in that youth group may have similar kind of struggle with this of like, well, she did do this or that, so maybe that you know. And also, kids will be kids, and what can you do? And they're all super mean on the internet. And what are you going to do? That's just how things are today. And I'm like Lee, I, I think, you know, first and foremost, you want to confront this on an individual level. That's super important. Um, with uh, Jed, I think it, uh, you absolutely have to have uh, a focus on this young lady and make sure that she's ministered to. And by the way, I don't think you can do one and not the other. Sure. Uh, if you're going to her and giving her mm. support and whatever, and you're not confronting that with anybody else, she's not going to take anything from yeah. you. Uh, I, I, can, I can tell you that much. But I think it's about recognizing that we need to draw a boundary line here, and we need to, to, to take this and, and make it a teaching moment. Now, here's what I mean by that. There's a, there's a perspective or sort of an attitude in ministry that ministry is at its best when everybody that you're ministering to is behaving as well as they possibly can. That that's, you know you've, that everything is really going good when that's happening. It's actually not true at all. Uh, when people are behaving really well, they're probably hiding their evil stuff, and you don't want it hidden because then you can't do anything about it because it's hidden. You don't know it's there. Uh, we uh, never have had the luxury of having people behaving really well ar- around us. So, Including us. <laughs> exactly right. So uh, con- confrontation is a regular part of what we do, and we don't have much of an option on that. But here's the secret. Here's the positives part of all of this it's that having those defining moments are the that's the point where this thing turns around for the better that's the point when you define that this is just not what we do as christians this is not who we are we are not like what you've seen on the internet we are not like what you see on your parents favorite news channel we are not like the rest of the world that is bitter and catty and negative and uh, will just say any anything uh, and, and justify it because they feel like, well, you know, I'm taking a stand here. We're calling people to our, a higher standard. We're calling ourselves to a higher standard. And that starts with supporting and understanding and loving everybody 
it means there's a line that you just don't cross. And once, once you cross this line of bullying, once it becomes something of that nature, you have left your Christianity behind and you, you, mm. you have, you've, you've lost your way. And now it's time for us to talk about what is the right response? What is, what is the, the right way? That doesn't mean that comes automatic. It doesn't mean that we vilify the people who, who got it wrong, because this is it. This is sin. This is all we're doing every day in this youth group, talking about here's some sin, and here's a righteous thing. We're stuck in one. We're trying to get to the other. So this is no different. So I think take this as a learning ex- opportunity, a learning experience. Embrace it. Say, this is it. What do we do when these things happen? What's the right way? Okay, maybe we, you know, you know, maybe we're trying to feel justified. Maybe we are starting to think we reacted like a big fat jerk. We wouldn't want to be treated this way if it was us, if she was on the other foot, if it was your daughter and someone was sending her these messages, what would you want to do, et cetera, and so on. Right. How can we how can we see this from all angles? So I think take it as a positive learning experience. That's really, really sharp point. That's all, all of what you heard on uh, those three answers comes from years and years of experience of dealing with these kind of uh, situations and a lot of excellent stuff there. And we're going to move on to our final question. It came in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox, and it says, My friends all work at wonderful companies where they get free meals, the best health care, wonderful perks, etc. While I have to fend for myself, scraping by and building up what I can, I feel incredibly annoyed at them and end up being passive-aggressive at them, for being out of touch with how 99% of the world lives. Is being rich a source of shame in today's culture, and why do I feel the way I do? And Jed, can you start us off on this? Can. I'm glad you wrote in. So your friends are rich and you are not. You know, a guy said to me one time, a few years ago, uh, a very provocative idea, but I've thought a lot about it. He said that uh, nobody's rich, because there's always somebody who's got Mm. more. And I've thought a lot about that. And, you know, I've had a weird life just in terms of the kind of work that I've done. I've done a variety of things. And I've known some extremely, extremely wealthy people, um, super, super wealthy. And I've found that that line that nobody's rich, there's always somebody who has more, is totally true in people's lived Mm. experience. I've known almost no wealthy people who had a perspective of, yeah, I'm doing great. I've I got a lot of cash. I'm doing awesome. Doing you know, just I got it. I'm just squared away. To the contrary, nearly every significantly wealthy person I've known uh, felt like the the bottom was going to fall out any minute. Um, yeah, right. You know the the market's rough. Uh, things are rough. It's we're barely holding ground. We're barely holding together. I'm talking about people who have hundreds of millions of dollars in personal assets, and their their perspective is it's hard out there right now, man. I don't I don't know how any of us are going to make it. That's that's their perspective. I thought I'd own two or three islands by now. I only own one. So that's that's a weird thing. But here's part of the deal. I, I'm I'm going to say something that's true for me. And if it doesn't apply to you, you send it right back. But my thought, because uh, I like money, and I think I should have more of it. Oh. Yeah. But this is the thing. I think I'd be good at it. Sure. I think if I had hundreds of millions of dollars in personal assets, I'd be totally cool. Chill, right. I'd be chill. That seems I'd, right. I'd have a system. I'd get in there, and I'd be, I'd be the cool rich guy. And you'd help people. I'd totally, I'd totally help people. Yeah. I'd be, you know, I'd be awesome. People, they'd sing songs about me. And here's the thing, based on the idea that nobody's rich and, you know, all the rich people I have known, no, I wouldn't. I'd be the exact same way as everybody else. Yep. I'd have, I'd have a ton of money 
that I didn't spend that I worried about every single day. Oh. That because that's what basically everybody does. <laughs> yeah. That's that's what I do. Now I said to say there may be part of you that thinks you know I'd be good. These people are bad at being rich. Right. I'd be good at it. Right. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Um, here's there. There are two things that I, I would have you think about. The first is something that is always, always, always true for all people at all times and all seasons. You have more than some, you have less than others. It, it doesn't matter who you are, where you are. That is always true. You have more than some, less than others. That's, yeah. that's it. The question, the thing that we really, really need to look at is, are you using what you do have the way that God is calling you to use it? That's the right. thing that matters. Mm-hmm. We did an interview a couple months back with a guy named Julian Deschazier, who's both a, a rapper and a pastor here in Chicago. And he has made, in, in some writing he's done, the amazing point that there's no sense in feeling bad about having privilege. Um, that, that's, you, you didn't do anything to get it. You just have it. There's no point in feeling bad about it. The question is, are you doing anything with it? Right. The privileges that you do have, because everybody has some privilege in some area of life, what are you doing with it? Mm-hmm. Are you using it to serve the Lord? Are you using it to serve other people? Your friends have more money than you. You have things they don't have. That could be talents. That could be time. That could be opportunities. That could be perspective. You have things your friends don't have. Are you using those resources the way that God wants them used? It's been said, and I think this is scripturally sound, that at the end of days, each person, when they appear before the throne of judgment, will be asked two questions. The first question God will ask is, what did you do with my son? And the second question is, what did you do with what I gave you? Yep. And I think that's true. I think that's scriptural. And I think that's a question that each of us, regardless of how much we think we do or don't have, need to ask ourselves pretty much every single day. What am I doing with what God has given me? doesn't really matter if it's a lot or a little. What matters is, am I doing what he's calling me to do with it? The other thing is, if you'll focus on that, that will free you from the comparison game. Um, it's very hard mm-hmm. to be deeply engaged with doing what God is calling you to do with the resources he's given you and worry about what other people are doing at the same time. Uh, one of those leads to great places. It leads to satisfaction. It leads to the kingdom moving forward. The other just moves to you being pissed off and being unhappy. And we don't want that for you and neither does the Lord. That's absolutely right. And Lee, I'd love to get you on this. Uh, to look at this idea of it's absolutely right. It's absolutely in a, way, in a very big way justifiable. It's just funny out here. This, you know, I feel angry at my friends for being out of touch and I get passive aggressive about that. Now, that's again perfectly understandable. And I can uh, speak for myself. You may not, it's, the listeners may be shocked. Uh, none of us on this show who work in uh, prison or urban ministry or work for a small church are exactly rolling in it. Um, so we, <laughs> we all know this, this, uh, this angle on things pretty good. But it, exactly kind of what Jed is here saying is another thing it doesn't exactly make sense to burn calories, as we might put it, doing is being mad at your friends for being out of touch because of course they're out of touch. Yeah. That's, that's the nature of having right. more money than almost anyone who's ever lived. Yeah. Yeah. But none of this, as, as Jed is saying much in the same way that if someone has more money, it doesn't necessarily make them uh, feel better about this. If you're just around other people who have less, it doesn't make you any less broke. So what what's actually going on here in this emotional way that's kind of leading to this bad feeling? Well, um, I, I appreciate the way you put the question. I appreciate this person writing in about this because I, you know, I can really only speak for myself. I know how this feels and it sucks to feel this way. I mean, it sucks to feel this way. And the re- reason you feel this way is because it sucks to struggle while it seems like other people don't have to. And some people in your life don't have to struggle in the same way that you do. And that's not fair. And that's a sucky feeling too. 
And so, I mean, you know, I just want to start out by saying, I know, I know how this feels. It sucks. It sucks to feel like I don't have as much stuff as I want. Like Jed said, I would like more money, please. And I would be good at that. You know, and there's all these people around me and they got all of it. What? Why do they have it? And I don't. That's a, that's a sucky thing to feel. It's not fair. And lashing out and being angry about it um, is, uh, in a funny way, it's a way to emotionally compensate your, yourself for the fact that jealousy is a sucky emotion to feel. Uh-huh. Anger is a wonderful emotion to feel. And how? Yeah. <laughs> um, anger uh, is a way to compensate uh, myself in a cathartic way for feeling uh, jealous and deprived. I don't like feeling deprived. I don't like feeling jealous. Those things suck, and I don't like what they say about me. But like, if I'm self-righteously looking at somebody saying, why do they have everything? I should have things. Um, that feels a whole lot better. Um, and, and that's just me being honest about yeah. it. The truth is, um, uh, you know, when, when I feel this way, I feel, I feel jealous and I feel deprived. The thing is, exactly as Matt said, of course there are folks in your life who are out of touch. They, they, they don't know what it feels like to struggle in ways that you have to. They don't know what it feels like to, to have to make certain ends meet in the way that you have to. As Matt said, which he is, totally, he is totally right in saying it, if you have a machine inside of the dwelling that you are in that makes the air temperature whatever you desire it to be, you know... You're doing pretty amazing compared with the the whole lot of humanity before you, um, and and that's something to remember, you know. But that doesn't change the fact that you do you do still feel jealous and deprived, and and so you want to get angry about that because that feels better than the jealousy and deprivation. Here's the thing: is if we could flip this and say, of course, of course, I've got friends that are out of touch, um, and where I am is where the majority of people are. Like you said, I'm in this ninety nine percent or whatever. Well, here's the thing is, I do have a lot to be grateful for, and I do have a lot of opportunity. Exactly as Jed said, there are a lot of things that God is calling me to, um, and I do have some challenges, and by the grace of the Lord, I'm working my way through those challenges. I actually have a lot of victories. I got a lot of W's to celebrate. Now, if I can focus on that instead of looking over, as Jed's saying, if I can get out of the comparison piece... Then I can look at my own life and say, yeah, I've got some challenges. I don't have as much stuff as I'd like to, but I'm making my way through it. And the Lord is helping me and we're going forward. I'm following him. That's, that's some awesome stuff to feel good about. It feels totally different than the jealousy and the deprivation. Now I'm looking at a life that has more challenges in it than some other lives. And by the grace and strength of the Lord and by the opportunities that he's given me and by me gaining some wisdom through some reps on this, I am making my way through this. That's a lot of stuff to feel good about. When I look at me and I look at what the Lord is, is calling me into and what the Lord has given me, I can feel good about where I am. If I look at somebody else, I wind up just feeling kind of pissed and, um, and that's not helping me out. And so I think a lot of this comes from perspective. We want to get the right perspective so we can flip the way that we're looking at it and we can, be, we can have some gratitude and some celebration rather than just being upset at, at what we don't have. That is all really good stuff. Glenn, I'd love to get you close out here and maybe pick up on something that Lee was saying there. I think it's a very important point, a very important point, which is it's not fair. Right. That's entirely That's true. Yeah. Um, back to kind of what we were saying in the first question with there can be two correct things that uh, don't play together the way we should like to because 
here's the thing is jealousy is bad. Yeah. Right. It doesn't, as we're, as we're talking about that first question, it doesn't actually get you anywhere. Right. It doesn't make anything better. But this is also crazy unfair. That's right. So it would certainly make a little bit of sense to be jealous, but how do we push back against that instinct? Well, I have no idea. Uh, I, I had a feeling I may not have come to the right place on that particular. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, you know, yeah, you can you can get into that old saying of if you want to know what God thinks of money, look at who he gives it to, that kind of stuff. Uh, he, this week, I'm walking through a church that is uh, conspicuously wealthy, and I said to my wife, I always wondered where the money went that didn't end up in the hands of missionaries, and now I know. I can see it. <laughs> well, here's the thing on that is um, that's that's not exactly, exactly how it works. That is to say— feels that it, way. Yeah, exactly right. It feels that way. It's not—if if God isn't calling these people to give money to missionaries or, or to organizations like ours, then it doesn't matter. But we have this weird way of seeing everything as zero-sum. That is to say— it's not that he has more money than I have. It's that he kind of has my money. Exactly right. He has the money yeah. I was supposed to have. <laughs> That's right. How does he have the money and I don't? As if I'm supposed to have it and he's not. You know. That's I think that's at the root of this. It sounds crazy, of course, when I say it out loud. But I think that's kind of the unexamined way that we look at it. It's this idea that. This some this person is somehow having something that I'm not. I think you know to your question. Yeah, I think uh, you know there's a difference between being rich and being filthy rich. Uh, that is to say, there's some people just you know they're driving a nice car and they're living in a nice house, and then there's the person with the gold plated everything and is kind of rubbing your nose in it, and it's filthy. And that's that's a different category if you want to look at it in that way, but I don't think you're looking at that. I think you're looking at this is just somebody I know that just got has way more than me and I'm 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 feeling a little, maybe a little jealous, yes, but also a little bit of just uncomfortable. You know, he's he's doing well in a way that I can't keep up with. And that and it's it's distancing us in some sort of way. Uh but I think the 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 right way to look at this thing for your friend, for you, for uh whoever else uh, I, I was I was in uh, on a missions trip uh, once many years ago in Mexico, and I'm talking to a pastor uh, in a remote uh, jungle in the in the Yucatan, and uh, he had he was uh, preaching an evening service, and he had on a really cool shirt, you know, and I'm shaking hands with him, and I told I said to him in Spanish, I, "That's a, I love that shirt. It's an amazing shirt. Just words just flew right out of my mouth." And he immediately took the shirt off and handed it to me, to my to my complete horror and shock. And I said, "No, no, no! I, I'm not. I'm not. I wouldn't take your shirt." And he says, "No, it's a sin for me to have something that someone else would appreciate more." And that thought took root in my head. I I don't know if that's the the, the if I can find a biblical justification for that, but I can tell you, I think that's a super healthy way to live your life. And I've kind of lived the rest of my life with that in mind. If I honestly think someone else enjoys something, if if somebody compliments something, I, I've got, guys at the bridge all the time will say, "I like your shoes." And I'll, my next question is, "What size are you?" And that's that's it. You know, I'll I'll hand them the shoes if that's what it is. Next time I see them, um, 
But it's not because they're more important than me. It's not that I've worked hard so I should have them. If someone else would appreciate it more, then they should have that. And what that thinking does, per Jed's point, is it drives me to be a whole lot more thankful for what I have. Mm-hmm. If you're not, if yeah. you've got something and you're not thankful for it, why on earth would God give you more stuff? Mm-hmm. I mean, what, and, and would you be thankful then? <laughs> yeah. You know, thankfulness is a choice. You choose to be thankful right here and right now for what you have. So. Uh, if you have stuff that you don't appreciate that someone else should appreciate more, I think that is a bad thing for you to hold on to that. I think you should give that away. If if someone else can can do something and be happy with that, those resources, they should be uh, uh, reallocated. Uh, but if you are able to find that thankfulness within your own life and and have that that sense of peace, you're going to be so much better off. Last little piece on this is. I think we have a sense that uh, it, that money is that one of those things where I can't be totally at peace until that's where it needs to be, where, wherever that is for you, whatever you've decided. Right. I can't rest. I can't, you know, I can't just be at peace with my life. It's just one of those things. And there was a time, Jed and I, uh, not too long ago, we were having a conversation about work stuff and our lives, and we were looking at it, and I said. Or, or I think it was Jed said, you know, I think I have every single part of my life is amazing and beyond my wildest dreams and I have a life that people would, would kill to have. I've got everything but money. I don't have the money. And it's you sat there and realized, well, what, what would having money add to that then? Yeah. If you got all the other stuff, you know, yeah, if you can't pay pay a bill, that's a different kind of thing, you know. If you if you can't uh, keep your car running and you got to have the car to get to to work, or you're you're sick and you can't pay a medical bill or something, that's a different animal from what we're talking about here. But it's right. about recognizing that uh, you might have a killer life that you aren't letting yourself appreciate because it, all these other things are going well, but the money isn't. So I think it's about taking money out of that space in your life that's very very sharp stuff i also think that's a very important point and maybe one i should have opened with that this we're talking here not about um someone who is in poverty as we would actually define it as i've put it to many people over the years i am broke i am not poor uh, right i consider poor when you as, as glenn is saying i have a bill i cannot pay the light right. is whatever it is then there's broke which is i pay all the bills and then there's there's not a lot left right there's, right, there's right, right. kind of a difference there now it, and we we certainly don't want to downplay the suckage that comes with either one of those, right, but right. we we again we can all say from personal experience with both broke and poor, which everyone listening to has been, um, that the stewing and the the hate on that doesn't help. Right. It, it I know it sounds crazy to ask you to be thankful if you are broke, but it give it a shot. Be thankful right. for something. Right, not right, for everything, right. but the yeah. bill you can pay, be thankful for that. Yeah, and you'll be surprised how much that kind of turns things on a dime. And as with so many stuff, the Lord asks us to do, it is um, on the face of it totally insane. <laughs> it also works. Yeah. So, yep. from people who know, uh, certainly give it a shot. All right, thanks for your questions. You have a question for us? Say that podcast gmail dot com, thebridgechicago dot dot com. We're going to take out with a song. This is this is you've heard the song. My reservation has been made before, but have you heard the bridge loud version? Oh, my reservation oh. has been made. We're going to take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast courageously confronting the scourge of pet adultery and the unholy union of cat and dog. You tell me 
You.